Oh, I just burnt my hands on the fucking tea bag, didn't I? Hands, fingers, fingies, I reckon is what I burnt. Lifting the tea bag out of the tea, squeezing the last little bit out, which I like to do because I like to, I get all the fucking juice out of it as much as I can. Ay, 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 hello, how are ya? It's Aiden Jones, you're listening to Sitting Under a Tree for Tuesday, the 27th of February, 2024. And I'm in the Gold Coast. I am at uh, in my room at my friend's house. I'm staying here. Oy, 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 oy. I'm in a great mood. I just finished the most wonderful fucking book, man. And I can't wait to talk to you all about it. I'll I'll probably talk about it in a bit. I feel, I'm just I'm having a nice time. Like I've just had a lovely day today. Not. I didn't do any gigs, no stand-up. I, I, I had my trial on Thursday at Good Chat and uh, honestly, I wasn't very happy with how it went, the reception, etc. I mean, people ended up coming because we comped out a bunch of tickets and I actually ended up uh, making enough money to cover the fee for the room, which was also great. And then, you know, I made my fees for... Wednesday and Friday shows as well, so I'll get a bit of cash for that. And I'm doing my paid gigs this week in the Gold Coast, which is great as well. But yeah, Thursday, the, the trial, I don't know, man. I just, I'm glad that I have, it's actually the perfect run to do Wednesday and Friday emceeing at Good Chat. And that's just like, you know, get the blood pumping. Thursday at Good Chat, do a trial, sick, like do a solo. And then, I did uh, I did another gig, just like a kind of corporate gig on Saturday. And then on Sunday I did, uh, what did I do? Like a fucking show, Friday night and Sunday night. I did a couple of spots as well, you know. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and Saturday. Yeah, I do just spots on the Gold Coast, that kind of shit. Tighten up the fucking jokes, do half hours. And then Saturday next, Saturday coming... I get another crack at the hour after a week of being able to sit with the jokes, write more stuff, think about the hour, what I'm trying to say with it. And I've been having so many ideas like Thursday before I did the hour, I had some ideas. And then afterwards I had fucking, I went for a walk. I had heaps of ideas. And ever since I've just been thinking about what I want to say with it and how I'm going to structure it. And I just, I can't wait to do it again on Saturday night on the Gold Coast. And I really, I don't know if I'll be able to nail it. I think I need a lot more time to actually nail what I'm trying to say. But the idea of what I'm trying to do with the hour is becoming so much more clear to me. I think I want the uh, thematic kind of through line that emerges in parallel with the musical through line to be this idea of fatherhood and that I want to be a father and that that's a scary thing for me to admit because to admit it suggests, you know, the possibility of failure. What if I never become a father? What if I never meet someone? What if I'm unlovable? Um, and blah, 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 blah. And all those insecurities. And um, now that that is, and I think I've been kind of playing with that idea and, and you know, having that be the kind of core of the show. But it's not fully the core. Like, I, I, th- I think I've figured out all the stories. Like, I want to... Oh man, I want to link 
this story uh, of going to my cousin's house and hanging out with his kids on Christmas 2022. And then I want to talk about uh, the story that I have losing my virginity because I wrote a song for my high school girlfriend and then she led me into my room and we had sex. And then talk about how I felt like when I lost my virginity, I was so proud, you know, and I felt like I was a man because I had sex. And uh, I remember like my cousin is younger than me and so is my little brother and those are the two like guys in my family and I remember you know when I was younger looking at them and feeling like so superior to them because I had this like worldly knowledge that was definitely linked to being uh being wanted by women and having the approval of women and I just felt like I've had sex how good am I and you know now my cousin has uh, grey hair and three kids which means he's definitely been fucking that's a good joke that I wrote today <laughs> and um, and my brother you know I had a conversation with him recently where we were talking about you know whether he wants kids and the way that he spoke about his relationship with his girlfriend was so mature and thoughtful and the conversations that they'd had that he told me about I was just like how the fuck, where did you learn this stuff? Like we were raised by the same parents. Where did you learn this and how am I only just learning it now by talking to you? And I was just in awe of, you know, my little brother and how mature he is, you know, approaching just his life and what he wants and all this stuff. And um, fuck, what was the end of this bit? I wrote this this morning that links these two bits together. Um maybe that's it i was so proud of myself when i lost my virginity and now and i used to like kind of think that i was superior because of that to my brother and my cousin and then now you know he's got a wife and kids and he's just like looking at me going like are you gonna be okay mate and my brother you know whatever i guess those two stories are linked like that but that's the start of the show and that kind of introduces this idea that I'm insecure about my manhood and masculinity or whatever. And then the next one is about this failed relationship and then my dad adopting me and then the next one is about trying to build some kind of relationship with my biological father and taking responsibility for that which I feel like is what a man does and what a father does. And then towards the end of the show, I wrote this fucking thing where is it? Fuck, I've been writing so much, man. It's so good. Where's your girlfriend? MDMA? No. Where did I write it? Maybe I wrote it in my phone. I've just been fucking writing heaps for the show and planning stuff. I'm sorry. I know this is annoying. I'm just like looking for things, but I just want to fucking tell you guys everything. That's the oh man, like because the Thursday show was just it was trash, dude. It was fucking trash. I don't know where I wrote it. Maybe I didn't write it anywhere. No, I'm sure I wrote it somewhere. This is the worst podcast I've ever done. I had I when I started this, I was like, this is gonna be the best podcast I've ever done. Um <laughs> and now all I can think is it's just me going through notes. Oh, maybe it's here because I ripped a bit out of my book. It is here, yes. All right. 
the reason I couldn't find it in my book is because I ripped out a page of my book. Oh man, it's been such a good week. I was judging Raw with um with my mate the other day and <laughs> I don't even know I can't tell that story. I just like we were we were just making fun of the people who sucked. I could tell this story then. <laughs> There was one guy who didn't suck. He was great. He was fucking awesome. But, like, he told this joke. He was just doing these insane one-liners. Um, and uh, Raw Comedy, by the way, is a it's a comedy competition and new comics go in. And, you know, there's, there's 16 comics, so none of them fucking sucked. It's awesome that they're doing comedy and I love them. I love watching new comics and anyone who gets on stage has my respect. But... Um, so, you know, when you watch new comics, they make the same mistakes that we, being the judges, have both made millions of times over. And so it's like it's fun to make fun of them because, you know, when you make fun of them, you're really making fun of yourself. All right. Am I out? Am I in the clear now? <laughs> I have empathy, but it's fun to make fun of people bombing. <laughs> I'm just trying to cover my ass in case of any of them fucking for some reason listen to this. <laughs> Oh, that tea's way too hot. What a loser. So this guy comes on and he's doing these jokes and they're like, just, you know, when someone, like they're jokes, but they're just like, what are these jokes? And one of them, that the other guy who was judging is like, wait till you hear the one about the marbles. <laughs> I was what's the one going to be about the marbles? And by the way, the audience not laughing, me and my mate judging, losing our minds, and the MC also losing his mind, and then the rest of the comics backstage not laughing. And it's just like, yeah, if you watch heaps of comedy, this is what's funny to you, because you're just like, I haven't seen this before. What this guy's doing, I don't. you don't see this. <laughs> and the joke. I can't even do it because I can't remember it. But the like, I can't remember. He put, he put kind of superfluous information in there. But the like, it was like my grandma's losing her marbles, which is good because now I don't have to play with her. Now she only plays with marbles. <laughs> What the fuck does that mean, dude? What are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, it's just, you've just heard the word. You've just, you've thought the phrase, my grandma's losing her marbles. And then you thought, what's a punchline? And you're like, marbles kind of sounds like my balls. And that's funny. <laughs> And and so and then the rest of the thought process is like, how do I get from marbles to my balls? And that's the only thought that has gone into this joke. And that's why it's just so wonderful. I've been thinking about joke. You know, I think I've been in the last few months when I've been doing less comedy than I ever have. I think I've been thinking about comedy not more, but in a different way that I never have or that I just haven't for a while. And I. Just enjoying it more, I re- I think. I think, I'm not sure. I know at times I've sounded un- unsatisfied and discontent, but 
man, like I was, I did a friend's podcast on Thursday, the uh, Elliot, fuck, and I just, uh, Elliot Stewart, lovely young man who, by the way, got engaged, congratulations, comic from Newcastle. He has his podcast, it's a recommendations podcast and you have to do your favourite joke and I immediately, I think this is my favourite joke, Kirk McKenzie, uh, fallen angel of the Melbourne comedy scene, was, you know, a bit of a kind of hot property about 20 years ago but was from the get-go mixed up with some pretty um, pretty sad and, you know, just like really unfortunate stuff and has been uh, injecting meth for you know, at least 10 years, probably longer and eventually got himself banned from all the rooms and, you know, doesn't do comedy anymore and is homeless and whatever. It's really sad. And he used to do this joke and I th- I think I say all of that for context for this joke. This isn't like, you know, some entitled fucking 20-year-old kid who, like, thinks he's Bill Hicks doing this joke oh by the way today 26th of feb when i'm recording this is 30 years since bill hicks died my inspiration for getting into comedy or maybe i'll talk about that later whatever continue the story um this isn't for context is it kurt mckenzie is not you know an entitled young idiot he is in his own way insane and whatever but um I don't know, I think there's something about the fact that he's homeless that I think makes this joke less threatening, but maybe more threatening. He would walk on stage looking very unfortunate, dirty, and looking like, you know, this guy probably slept rough last night, wearing a a purple Willy Wonka hat, which is an interesting detail, and a whistle around his neck. And he would say, people often say to me, Kirk, is that a rape whistle around your neck? And I say, fuck no, why would I blow a whistle while I was raping someone? Now, say what you want about that joke. It's a great joke. And I think it's because it's about rape that it hits particularly hard because it's something so awful contrasted with the relative benignness and like almost the fun of a whistle. A whistle. And then you imagine like him raping someone and then blowing a whistle and it's like, is he blowing a whistle because he's having fun but you don't really imagine that anyone has fun in a rape even the person raping is not really having fun they're more just acting out a kind of awful evil that lives inside them in a really tragic way and so to add a whistle to that is kind of incongruous or or is he blowing a whistle because he's like ashamed of what he's doing and he's like anyone else who's around like look help me and her and like this terrible thing is happening and I want you to notice it and stop it (laughs) There's just, there's no scenario where him blowing a whistle while raping someone. (laughs) And I guess that's the punchline of the joke. Why would I blow a whistle while I was raping someone? So you, you ask yourself, well, why would you blow a whistle while you were raping someone? And there's no reason for that to happen. But obviously the rape whistle is for if you're being raped. And so that's what, that's the misunderstanding because there is no reason for him to blow a whistle while he was raping someone. And so I guess we understand that he, for him, the danger of being raped is so remote that the only conceivable purpose for a rape whistle would be like that him raping someone is more likely than him being raped. 
which actually is very true, isn't it? In a way, even though he is homeless and, and, you know, a danger of homelessness is violence being acted out on you, still, by virtue of him being a man, even though he is a homeless man, there is a far more likelihood of him raping someone than being raped. So the joke actually speaks to really quite a deep and terrifying, powerful truth, doesn't it? But that's not why it's funny. (laughs) It's convenient that that is the case, but... Really, the reason it's funny is just it's a ridiculous image and I don't know. And I guess, you know, I'm not a woman. I don't live with the fear of being raped. So it doesn't scare me in the same way. (laughs) Anyway, why am I talking about this, man? It's interesting to think about jokes and why we laugh at them, you know, because the reason that I... The reason that I laugh so hard at this guy's my balls joke, marbles my balls, isn't because it's a good joke... It's because I understand the thought process of trying to come up with jokes and the desperation. I can see how he got from marbles to my balls and I also understand that that's not going to make an audience laugh and I understand that, the, like, the, the I guess just the desperation that you have when you're trying to write jokes that you're so, uh, so eager to try and find something that's funny that you will make these insane leaps and just try them. And the fact that he's trying that on stage, it's almost like it's so close to being a joke, but it's also so far from being anything that an audience will ever laugh at. And I recognize that in myself and that's why I laugh. And that's why the three comedians in that audience laughed and the audience didn't. And that's why we laughed so hard. (laughs) Anyway... So what I want to say at the end of my show, here we go, is, um, oh, and sorry, and the reason that I couldn't find the page there is because I ripped a corner out of my notebook so that we could write the winner and the runner-up on it. And um, because I'd ripped that corner out when I went to turn pages on my notebook, the page, the corner that I would turn was missing. And so I was missing the page that the thing that I wanted to tell you was written on. And we're caught up. So after at the end of the show, I want to tell this story. When I play the music and I play the thing, and I put the thing on the on the um, on the projector that I said to my biological father. um, By the way, do you know what happened in my show? I have this bit where I play the piece and then I do a mashup with Biggie's Juicy and at the end and the punchline is I go if you don't know now you know and then instead of saying the n-word I play the chord that is at the end of the sequence that suggests the n-word and it's a suspended chord and it leaves the tension there and normally people laugh because they understand that I'm not going to say the n-word but I'm playing this word in a kind of as a substitute for saying it and at my show a guy who had been kind of heckling but in a kind of silly funny way clearly understood timing just shouted the N-word in place of that. And then I spent three minutes just making fun of him and being like, well, of course that happened in Queensland of all places, you know, and calling him an idiot and whatever. And that was fun. And my friend Brody Rocker was kind enough to record the gig and now I've just realised today I'm very excited about the prospect that I have that on... That happened. It's recorded. And so... I can, I'm just going to straight up put that on social media. (laughs) Isn't that exciting? Oh, mate. Yeah. I wonder if that will 
go viral. I mean, I'll fucking anything at this point. I'll take anything. That'd be great if it went viral. Anyway, yeah, I just wasn't happy with the show and I especially, I wasn't happy with the ending and I just, it was, made me realize that as clear as the ending is in my mind, I need to clarify it in the show and have the show be more of a coherent whole and also just neaten up the sections that are supposed to be funny and get it tighter and get more jokes in there. And that's what this week's for. And I've been working on that and I'm really excited about it. But anyway, I do the piece. I get to the bit. I have the stuff behind me that I said to my biological dad. And then I don't finish the piece. I leave it in the moment of tension. And then I tell the story about how I had a wonderful conversation with a taxi driver after a trial of the show. And I was telling him about the show. And he told me that um, he had two, he has two sons. And when the first of them, the eldest left home, he took them both out for beers at the pub. And he said to them, one day, boys, you are in your 20s or in your 30s, you're going to have this moment where you turn around and you think to yourself, like, my dad fucked up. You're going to be angry and you're going to say, my dad, he, he fucked it up. He, you know, he blew it being my dad. And uh, I know you don't think you're going to now, but one day you will have that moment. And when you have it, I want you to know that you can come to me and say it to me, tell me that you're angry and I will say sorry. And he told me that story and I thought it was so wonderful that he knew that that's what he needed to say. And it made me realize that that was all that I wanted my biological father to say. I just wanted him to say sorry. And the reason I went there for the second time and told him what I wanted to tell him was in the hope that he would understand that he just needed to apologize and he couldn't do it and he couldn't take responsibility for not being there for me when I was a kid and um, it just makes me so mad and angry and I just, you know, all this stuff. But um, I'm trying to move on from it because I've done everything that I can do and I just want to let go of it, you know. But I think that's what it is to be a father. It's not just to have children. It's to take responsibility for them and... Um, to care for them and for all the people in your life, you know, and to be giving, to, to give more than you take, right? To have that to be able to look after people is to be able to give more than you take. And uh, I think that's what it is to be a father. And I would like to be a father one day. I've got to get a girlfriend first, which is why I'm putting so much energy into writing this show, which I think is a funny joke. And I'll set up earlier in the show about how playing piano and doing stand-up. Oh, I can even tie those together. Good idea for the show. Playing piano was a way that I would try and get female attention. And when I stopped playing piano, stand-up took the place of that in being a creative outlet and also a way to get women to talk to me. <laughs> um, and that's where this book comes in, I think. Because I had that idea. I went yesterday, man. I was fucking... Yesterday was such a great day. My friend here has a surfboard. And um, I... Uh, he lives like an hour walk from the beach. So I was like, it's... You know, and I don't have a car here. And I don't want to hire a car. So I was like, how am I going to get the surfboard to the beach? So I got a line bike and carried it 
on the side of the bike and rode the bike to the beach. They're electric bikes, which is nice. Had a great day, had a surf, fell off the board a bunch, you know, learned a few things about being patient. And I think I learned something about paddling out actually that I didn't know before about just going straight into the wave, which was cool to learn. Um, and also about like, I guess, how to paddle and where and that you have to really read the beach and read where the waves are breaking because you can't paddle through the waves. You have to go where the waves aren't breaking, which is scary because that's where the water's pulling you, but you just do it. And then you go out and you see where the other people are doing and you go there. It also taught me how fit surfers are because I was paddling at the same speed that this other guy was, but his arms weren't tired and mine were fucking tired. And then I went and sat for like four hours in this French cafe that I found and just wrote stuff for the show. Anyway, the other thing that I was doing and uh, what I really, well, the reason that I was so excited to do this podcast when I sat down is my dear, dear friend gave me a book uh, for my birthday when I saw her on Sunday last week and I just finished reading it. I started it on like, I think I started it on fucking Wednesday maybe and I just demolished this book. It Once I started... She gave it to me for my birthday and said, I know you're going to love this book. Um, and it reminded me so much of you. And I guess I didn't think that much of that. But once I started reading it, I was just like, oh my fucking God. I just, it's exactly me. This book, it's called Good Material by Dolly Alderton. It's by a woman, which is, Wild to me, not because I'm making a joke about how women can't write books, but because the main character is a man and it's so incredibly written. I just read in the acknowledgements that she did a bunch of research with male friends of hers and so that explains why. There are so many intimate observations about the male experience. Um, the main character is a man. He's a comedian. He's 35. He gets broken up with by a woman who he believed to be the love of his life, that they've been together for four years and he is codependent and needy and in the relationship and he's quite selfish and in the breakup even more so and just becomes completely unhinged and uh that's the story the only difference that i could really see between this guy and myself is that he doesn't love his comedy anymore he's kind of i don't know if he's fallen out of love with it but he just doesn't believe in himself and he hates it um but other than that it's basically a book about the anxieties of entering your 30s and this kind of towards the end like this male idea i mean it's a relationship between a man and a woman in the book when they break up he loses his mind and he becomes neurotic and obsessive about her and it's all written from his perspective and the whole book you're just wondering as he does What's she doing and why did she break up with him? Fuck, man. I just, I want to read passages. You know what? I'm going to read. I'm going to read the opening chapter, which is just a bunch of, well, here's the opening chapter. The book begins, reasons why it's good I'm not with Jen. Can't dance, has no rhythm at all. Used to find it adorable until I saw people laughing at her and hate to say I was embarrassed. Once overheard her say, let's grab a cappuccino sometime and we'll talk to my teenage cousin who wanted advice about his university applications. 
generally has quite 90s ideas about what is glamorous, like cocktails or spending 20 pounds on a plate of tagliatelle at a, quote, little place. Refuses to get to the airport a minute earlier than 90 minutes before a flight takes off. Doesn't have to persuade her, uh, don't have to persuade her to like where we live anymore. Oh, reasons why it's good, yeah. Don't have to persuade her to like where we live anymore. When she would go for a run in the evening, she would come into the living room, stretch in front of the TV and say, what's this? And make me explain the program I was watching, even though she knew what it was, just to make a point that she was exercising while I was watching Help, I'm a Hoarder. Talk too much and too smugly about coming from a big family as if it was her decision to have three siblings. Always used to boast about how she'd reject an OBE if it were offered to her because of her apparent lefty Republican values, but would never know why she'd be offered an OBE in this fantasy when I asked her. Would definitely never reject an OBE if it were offered to her. Would take an hour to go to bed, no matter what time she got in, because she'd do a seven-step skincare routine, browse shopping apps, and listen to podcasts, and yet only left 20 minutes from an alarm going off to, have, uh, to having to leave the flat in the morning. Always late for me, never late for work. Can't drive, brackets, childish. <laughs> like the pacing of this, you know, long ones, short ones, this is so good. Somehow managed to relate the plot of every film we watched back to her own life. Her unbearable sister Miranda, who carries nonsensical homemade signs at protests saying things like, history is watching, and who I know hates me because she always ranted about straight white guys when she came round for dinner, no matter the topic. She used to say, sorry Andy, but didn't by the end. Her work friends, boring and clicky and not fun or funny. All talk about being some big adventurer, but never followed through. Wanted to take a year off to travel because she never had a gap year. Brackets, quote, next year. Wanted to move to Paris, not the right time. Wanted to get an undercut, work wouldn't like it. Wanted to go to an outdoor sex-themed rave when my hay fever gets better. (laughs) Goes to therapy every week and has done since she was 29 but would never tell me what they spoke about and I've never seen that she has anything wrong with her. Was too connected to dogs and spoke to them as if they were people. Her rude dad, her weird mum, comes from a family who go on long circular walks and play board games. (laughs) at this point it's like this guy's very petty you're understanding this is such good character development you're understanding more about this guy than you are about the woman that he hates which is something that i believe so fucking fervently that when you hate someone and say it it's really just a reflection of you and it reflects poorly on you you know all right Annoyingly loquacious and was on a debating team at her school, which meant I didn't win an argument in nearly four years, even when I was right about loads of them. (laughs) Always on at me about biting my nails, picking my feet, too much hair in my nostrils and bum hole, etc. God, that's such a great window into a relationship. Too much hair in your bum hole, like the intimacy. Anyway, despite the fact she's always fiddling with her cuticles. Talked at the cinema... Pretended she's unsure about watching chi- about wanting children because she cares about the planet, but I think she just didn't want children with me. Would never talk seriously about having children despite knowing how much I want to be a dad, but would sometimes say, that's one of my baby names to people in conversation. Those baby names included Noah, Blue, question mark, and Zebedee. <laughs> Snob. Once said that she thought people who wear straw hats at the airport on their way to a summer holiday are regional. <laughs> It's very good. (laughs) Lingered too long in museums at every artifact or painting and would have a go at me if I walked through the exhibition too quickly. 
once saw her nod respectfully at a capital letters tiny jade spoon in the British Museum. Only saw her cry a handful of times in nearly four years together and it wasn't when we broke up. One time was when we were watching Joni Mitchell, a Joni Mitchell documentary. And then the last one is Ruined My Life. And that really tells you everything you need to know about this character. And then the rest of the book is more of that. He's very self-involved. He's not really interested in empathizing with her at all, especially maybe after the breakup. Maybe at some point he was, I don't know. But at this point, he's very unlikable, isn't he? And then through this book, he is not a lot more likable. He just does crazy things, but I fucking empathize with him so much because he's a man and because he's a comedian and because he's selfish and I'm selfish and he's selfish in the same way that I am in my worst moments. And it just felt like a fucking dagger to the heart, this book. And I don't know, I I guess, I think this author, I mean, what it feels like is she, she wrote a book for men to read to understand how women see us. That's what it felt like. It felt like looking at myself through the eyes of a woman, but like a true, like somehow a woman who understands me so deeply and has been paying attention to me in a way that makes me not able to argue. I don't mean I don't need, didn't even want to argue. I felt like I would learn something about myself by seeing myself through someone else's eyes, you know? And uh, I don't even know, like, oh, were there, were there fucking, what, what messages have I sent my friend here? I just sent my friend messages the whole time. I almost want to fucking read it again, man. I might straight up just read it all the way through again. Um, I just said, dude, what the fuck? This book is an arrow through my heart. I'm only at page 20, the bit where he says he's been to Edinburgh for 10 years. Yeah, because that's, I fucking absolutely do that. Oh my God. And in the breakup, he says, uh, he calls his high school girlfriend. And he's fucking 35 and he calls his high school girlfriend to be like, what's up? <laughs> and, uh, and, and she's like, I don't think we need to meet up, dude. I'm really busy. I have my own life. I hope you're well. And he's like, okay. And it's like, can't, I have a fucking bit in my show that I'm writing right now where I talk about my high school girlfriend. You know, and she on the phone to him while he's drunk in the middle of the day, thank God I fucking quit drinking and I do go to therapy. He doesn't go to therapy and he drinks and there's enough that's different for us, you know, for me to be able to be like, it's not me, it's not me. (laughs) He calls her and she, and he goes and she's like, are you okay? And he's like, I'm going through a breakup and she's like, okay, well, you always were very nostalgic and I'm like, I'm very nostalgic. (laughs) And that's his self-involvement, you know, and his selfishness. Um, 
Yeah, the only thing that I uh, I said to my friend, the one thing I'll say about this dude that really bums me out and separates me from him is that he hates his own comedy. And he does. And he said he does a crazy job for material. And it's like, I would never fucking do that. That's the one thing. I think I still believe in myself, which is hard sometimes, you know, but nice, nice to know that. Oh, man. Anyway, the reason that this is so relevant right now is because towards the end, they have this moment of, and I, I, I guess spoilers, you know, fuck, whatever, who cares? I don't care. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't care about you guys and if this ruins the book for you. And that's not fair. It's spoiler alert. I'm going to say spoiler alert. I do care. If you want to read this book, um, stop listening now because I'm, I'm going to say some stuff about the ending. Um, you just you follow his journey but the whole time you're wondering why did she break up with him even though he fucking like she says it's because she says she says why and um, I don't even know if I am going to spoil the end I don't know I don't know I, I don't believe in spoilers man there's no big reveal I don't fucking believe in them. I don't think they're real. You know, like The Sixth Sense, he's a ghost the whole time. I still haven't seen the movie. I'm sure it'd be great. Yeah, it's, I don't have the same experience of the movie, but a fucking whatever. I'm going to watch it one day. Maybe I want to watch The Sixth Sense so I feel less guilty about spoiling the book for you guys. <laughs> watch The Sixth Sense and be like, see, I can enjoy it, even though I've known what the thing is for years. <laughs> I just want to talk about this book and how it's affected me but I, without worrying about whether I'm going to spoil it but I also feel bad for you guys if you want to read it but not bad enough that I want you to stop listening to the podcast because I care about you listening to the podcast. God, why am I so self-involved? She wrote a book about me, this Dolly Alderton fucking lady. Um, through the book, the journey is you, you wonder just as he does why she really broke up with him or I do anyway I don't know maybe uh, maybe a woman wouldn't maybe a woman would just trust the thing that the female character says or maybe it's written in a way that suggests that you don't trust it I don't know but I just was wondering the whole time I'm like is there what's this story but the journey of the book you don't actually learn any new information I guess you just come to accept as the main character does, the fact that the relationship has ended to the point where eventually they can kind of come together in a way that feels healthy and it stops being so painful. He stops acting like such an insane person and comes to just accept his life and she it comes back into his life in a healthy way, but they're not in the relationship anymore. And then the coda at the end of the book is the whole story from her perspective. And uh, it's just so beautiful, man. Like I just wanted to cry the whole fucking time. And it's perfect. <sighs> and and like there, oh, there's a line in there. Um... Where is it? I'm going to, you know what I am going to, I'm going to pause it and find this fucking passage. All right. 
<clears throat> at the end, towards the end, this character says to the protagonist, if I had a son, he suddenly says, I turn to look at him, hands behind his back again, anxious eyes staring into nowhere. If he asked me for any advice about personal matters, personal relationships, I wouldn't have a whole lot to say because I don't know a whole lot about it. But I would say that he stops himself and makes a sound of a half-formed word, then stops himself again. He takes a breath and speaks in an uncharacteristically unhurried way. Life is a bit more difficult for women, more difficult than it is for us, I mean. And you don't need to ask them to explain why or understand it all. You just need to be nice to them. He looks up nervously. Do you understand what I'm saying? I think I do. Yes, I say. He walks into the other room and turns on the radio. I mean, that, I, I think that, yeah. I don't even really understand that. I and mean, that's hard to accept, isn't it? But it's like, it just, it's like, you're, we're men, we're not the most important thing. As self-involved as we are, it's not us. And, uh, oh my God, also the main character in the book never met his fucking dad. <laughs> And I just realized in reading that, that the character who's saying that to him is in a way a father figure, the figure that he never had, the fucking, the, 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 the symbolism is perfect. It's such good, it's such good writing, man. It's phenomenal writing. Oh, fuck. And uh, I guess it just made me think, you know, about this idea that I want to be a father is a very selfish idea and uh, seeing him through her eyes in the relationship and the way that he was made her feel that he wouldn't be a good father with her because he was still too selfish and it just makes me think about my life and like I in my last relationship was kind of had the idea that maybe we would be together and start a family together and um you know the relationship ending was very hard because I that was the first time that I'd seriously considered that with someone and uh now that I think about it I think I was far too selfish and maybe still am to be a father and like there's a line actually that she says towards the end about how he goes out and does comedy fuck where is it pausing again right there's this part from the coda where she's speaking and she speaks to us, she narrates, so she's talking to us, which is so powerful. She says, And it was there in front of the Venus de Milo that I realised I don't think I'm cut out to support a male artist and I'm certainly not, up, not cut out to have a family with one. That, irrespective of where Andy's career might go, I would spend my life with a man who was so in need of affirmation from strangers that he stood on stage every night, even when he wasn't being paid, even when he it was needed at home because he wanted them to find him funny, because he wanted them to love him. There was nothing wrong with Andy and there was nothing wrong with the choices he'd made. He could make a woman very, very happy, but I knew then that she wasn't me. And I guess, like, I'm still... I don't know, like, I notice, you know, that I haven't done stand-up as much in the last few months, but I still love it. Like I said at the start of this podcast, I've been thinking about it so much and jokes and I still find so much joy in thinking about jokes and maybe even the fact that I'm not doing it as much is 
making me appreciate it in a different way. But I know a year ago and even six months ago before I kind of got this job and started working at this job, I just, I wasn't in a place where I had space in my life enough to be a father. No fucking way. What are you nuts? (laughs) Which is crazy because I was considering that with my girlfriend, you know, I was like, maybe that's a thing that'll happen. And it's something that I want, but, um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'll never have time for it, you know? <clears throat> like right now, I'm, I'm caught between two ideas of my future. One idea of the future is where I like have a job and I'm a father and just do a bit of stand-up. The other idea is where I do this show and then give up my place in Melbourne, sell all of my stuff and commit to going on the road and taking the show on the road for like another year after I do the festivals next year, you know? Like maybe that's also on the horizon. I have a friend, Victor Petrushkin, who's a comic in Europe, and he's doing so well and he's posting all photos of these shows that he's doing that he's promoted himself to 300 people and I'm so proud of him but I can't help but feel jealous as well when I see those photos and I, I considered the other day like muting him from my feed because I feel jealous in all the shows that he's doing and I think I realized walking home today that I should keep those up there not because I want to feel bad or jealous but because I know that that's something that I want and maybe that'll give me a bit of fucking fire to actually take a leap, take a leap of faith and, you know, tour this show when it's ready, which it's going to be at the end of this fucking year. <sighs> Man. This book, dude, it's just, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know what to say. I don't know that I have anything succinct. God, I hate people who say succinct instead of succinct. It's succinct. It's not succinct. You suck suck. i'm so excited to do the trial on saturday man because i think the end of this show doesn't offer an end to all of this stuff and it's like i want to say towards the end of the show like i want an answer but i don't have an answer and then tell this story and then the end of the show is that chopin says you know, he's searching for something and then he finds it. Well, what does he find? He finds what he's searching for. And what is he searching for? That is up to you. And it is. It's just it's up to me to figure out what I want and then get that thing. And it's up to all of us to have that in our lives. And that's the ending that I want to put in the show. It doesn't offer any answer to my questions, but it is the only answer, which is that you just have to keep looking. Ah, <sighs> this show is going to be really good, man show is going to be really good what a wonderful book i might read it again even just reading that first chapter to you guys then i have a renewed perspective on it having read the whole book um and i might just read it again anyway i think that's the end of the podcast man i think i'm going to call this podcast i might just read it again there you go that's a good title come on that's a good title and um the the photo is going to be a very fun photo. Oh, well, fuck off. Why is my phone always asking me to back shit up? Fuck you. I was walking down the street in the Gold Coast today and I saw a sign at the front of someone's house that said, for sale, books, 50 cents each. lot more inside. And I think that's nice. Is that going to be the photo or is the photo going to be a photo of me? Nah, it's going to be that for sale books. Yeah. And you know what? 
again, I'm not going to deep dream it. Maybe I'm done deep dreaming things. Or maybe not. Who knows? But I like that photo for this week's pod. Um, oh, but how am I going to... Fuck. The fucking for sale books is in the bottom third of the photo. That's annoying, you know, because the title of the podcast... Fuck, you know what? I'll figure it out. I'll do something. I don't know what I want to do. But that's going to be the photo anyway. All right. That's it. Yeah. I think that's all I have to say. Is that all I have to say? I just, I guess the book has just given me this idea that the selfishness of my like dream or desire to be a father, you know, it's just kind of made me think about it. I think about my friends who do have children and like, I mean, especially my friends who I went and visited today. Um, I remember the the woman in the relationship saying to me when they when she was pregnant that her husband was saying to her like he was buying her stuff and she was like thank you for buying me stuff and he was like you are literally carrying our child and I'm like watching how much pain and whatever it's putting through so like you can have whatever you want and uh, I think that's true and I think that's a good perspective you know and reading a book like this is just making me, I guess, appreciate a little bit more the seriousness of what I am proposing when I just openly say, I want to be a father. It's like, yeah, man, that's a really serious and big thing that you're asking of just any woman, you know? It's not just like a frivolous thing that you do. It's a, it's a serious thing. So um, thank you, Dolly Alderton, for writing this wonderful book. Uh, that feels like it was written specifically for me. <laughs> and the fact that I feel that is probably indicative of the selfishness contained in the protagonist. Anyway, that's the end. That's the podcast. Thank you very much for listening, guys. This has been Aiden Jones sitting under a tree. Peace. <laughs>